0: You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Here are a few messages from the forum before we start the show. Rates and pricing for our 32nd annual conference are now available at forumworkplaceinclusion.org/conference-rates. Visit our rates page for early bird pricing with up to $100 off standard rates. Group rates and team meeting packages also available. That's forumworkplaceinclusion.org/conference-rates. Also, save the date for our 32nd annual conference, Facing Forward, which is March 10th, 11th, and 12th at the Minneapolis Convention Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Our three-day flagship event, the annual conference, is our premier learning opportunity at the cutting edge of a diversity, equity, and inclusion landscape. Learn more about the conference, the conference theme, and the conference learning pillars at forumworkplaceinclusion.org. The forum annual conference is SHRM and HRCI eligible. Videos from our 2019 annual conference are now available on our website, forumworkplaceinclusion.org. Our 2019 conference video archive features general sessions, spotlight sessions, and special presentations from our 2019 annual conference, Bridging the Gap. Get amazing DEI content from our flagship annual conference for free at forumworkplaceinclusion.org. The forum's 2020 Diversity Award nominations are now open. Do you know someone who leads by example and demonstrates a commitment to bold exploration, risk-taking, and learning from both failure and success? Or what about someone who has raised or raises awareness of workplace diversity and inclusion issues? Then nominate them for the forum's 2020 Diversity Awards. More information at forumworkplaceinclusion.org diversity awards. Registration for our October webinar is now open. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org and click on events and webinars for more information and to register. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion webinar series are free monthly webinars offering professional and organizational skill building opportunities in diversity, equity, and inclusion topics, featuring presenters from industries around the globe. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all of our listeners and subscribers. Your engagement with our podcast supports our growth and helps us reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on The Forum Podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. If you've already written a review, thank you, and please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or colleague. Word of mouth from our audience is the best way The Forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's webinar. I'm Ben Rue, Program Coordinator at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. I'm pleased to have you here for today's webinar, MassMutual's d and Journey, a Holistic Approach to Change, with presenters Mary Frances Winters of the Winters Group, uh, Natalia Abula, Abulu of MassMutual, and Peggy Nagai of White Men as Full Diversity Partners. This is the fifth webinar in the 2019 Forum on Workplace Inclusion webinar series sponsored by Aon. We hope that you, we hope you enjoy this experience and find this information helpful in your work and join us for future webinars. Today, Mary Frances, Natalia, and Peggy will be presenting for about 45 minutes with Q&A at the end. Today's webinar is firm eligible and the Activity ID will be provided at the end of the webinar. It is also being recorded and will be posted to our website within the next week and and being available for download via podcast and is actually being broadcast live on Facebook right now. Visit our website, formonworkplaceinclusion.org, or on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn for more information. Before I hand things over to Mary, Frances, Natalia, and Peggy, I would like to share a brief message from our sponsor, Aon.
2: Where will today take you? Where will you take today? Will you step out into who you are, into who you can be? At eon we're committed to helping you be your best and ensuring you experience the best of Aon. It's your chance to own your potential. A chance to develop professionally through unmatched opportunities and tools to help you succeed. It's your opportunity to work with the best, to learn from and grow with each other. A place where colleagues value one another where perspectives are embraced, and people are celebrated. It's freedom to reach out and make a difference. So clients succeed, so communities grow, so colleagues thrive. This is what it means to work at Aeon, what it feels like when we are at our best. Impact, people, opportunities, and support. This is the Aeon Colleague Experience, and together, it's how we'll empower results.
1: Thank you so much, Aon, again. And without further ado, I'd like to hand things over to today's presenters.
3: Thank you very much, Ben. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are in the world. I am Mary Frances Winters, and I would like to welcome you to today's webinar. I represent the Winters Group. We are a global diversity, equity, and inclusion firm. And today, you're going to hear how Mass Mutual is driving diversity and inclusion by focusing on insightful metrics, a system of accountability, and transformative education. We're going to delve into their strategy to change hearts and minds. We're going to highlight how diversity and inclusion education does work when organizations take a long-term holistic approach, when it is more than just a one and done, and it is part of a broader strategy to drive change. And so today I am joined by um, our expert panelists and we're going to uh, have them introduce themselves before we get started. Natalia.
4: Hi, good morning or good afternoon, everybody. It's great to be here with all of you. My name is Natalia Arbulu and I'm a diversity consultant here at Mass Mutual.
5: I'm Peggy Nagai, I'm the Chief Operating Officer of White Men as Full Diversity Partners. I have had the privilege of working with both Mary Francis and Natalia
3: at Mass Mutual. So look forward to talking about it more. Thank you so much Natalia and Peggy. And now I'm going to turn it back over to Natalia who is going to get us started with our conversation this afternoon this morning or this evening. So, I wanted to take a moment
4: to talk a little bit about Mass Mutual. So we have been around since 1851, and we operate within a mutual structure that celebrates interdependence and living mutual. So we were founded in a one-room office in Springfield, Massachusetts. And since then, we've been driven by our purpose. We help people secure their future and protect the ones they love. Nothing could be more important in our eyes. So we put our customers at the heart of what we do, and we provide holistic financial solutions, guidance, and education. So our long-term strategy helps ensure that our policy owners and their loved ones can rely on us to be there when they need us most. So our product suite includes life insurance, annuities, disability income insurance, retirement plans, um, and we also offer personal guidance and digital tools. So working with our customers to understand what they need to simplify their financial lives and build a more competent future. We also have investments in global asset management and international businesses, which help us diversify and ultimately strengthen our enterprise, enabling us to deliver strong results across various market cycles and provide outstanding long-term value. So here's a look at the impact that we have on our 5.6 million policy owners and customers. So just wanna highlight a couple things. So in 2018, we paid $5.3 billion in insurance and annuity benefits. And since 2010, we have paid our policy owners $14.7 billion in dividends. So we're really proud of this fact. As a company, We firmly believe that our ability to effectively meet the needs of our current and future customers depends on our ability to attract and retain diverse talent and foster a dynamic and inclusive workplace that people want to be a part of where everyone has a voice and they feel valued. So in 2017, we launched our new brand and it consists of two words, live mutual. Some of you may have seen some of our ads. So what is Live Mutual about? It's centered on the belief of interdependence, that we are stronger when we connect with others and when we look out for and rely on each other. So we're constantly faced with a choice in life. Do we go it alone or do we rely on the people around us? Society would have us believe that that independence is the only way forward and the ultimate sign of success. However, through our brand, we believe it's important to remind people that our interdependence is our greatest gift, that the times when we count on others and others count on us are the most important in life. We want to remind people that when we depend on one another, we aren't just more secure, but life is happier and more fulfilling. So let's take a look at one of our latest stats. So our brand is one of the greatest examples of how diversity and inclusion is embedded in who we are as an organization. And what's interesting is that the diversity and inclusion team at MassMutual didn't influence the creation of LiveMutual. Our leaders and employees are making decisions already with a diversity and inclusion lens, but we didn't get here overnight. So let's talk about the journey. We are now in our 11th year of being a more diverse and inclusive organization. DI at MassMutual is led by Lori Valle Yanez, and the work around DI began in the business, driven by the opportunity to reach new markets. We felt that there were markets that could benefit from what we offer, and nobody in the industry was doing a really good job at reaching them. So, from there, the need for a chief diversity officer was identified. So here's a look at our major milestones. We have constantly strived to elevate our efforts along the way, building on our successes and learning what works, what doesn't work. We've refreshed our strategy twice to align with the company's goals and aspirations. And both times that we did this, it was in a really collaborative way. We gathered thought leaders throughout the organization and even included some external d subject matter experts. So between 2008 and 2011, and also going into 2012 through 2014, we had been successful in creating the infrastructure for diversity and inclusion. We had a foundational DNI learning program for all managers, led by our longtime partner, Miguel Valenciano. We had established employee resource groups. We had evaluated ourselves against others. We had partnered with our senior leaders on diversity action plans to move the needle, but the needle move wasn't moving as quickly as we had hoped related to increasing workforce diversity. We wanted to do something that went above and beyond what we were already doing. We leveraged the global DNI benchmarks to rate ourselves and identify where we should focus, and made the decision to double down on developing inclusive leaders. As a side note. Both Lori Vallanez and Mary Francis have served as expert panelists for the GDIB for many years. So you'll see that in 2014, which led into 2015 2017, we made a bold move to impact mindsets and behaviors. Working with the Winters Group and White Men as Full Diversity Partners, we created a transformative educational experience for all of our senior leaders that focused on understanding systemic bias, unconscious bias, cultural competence, and working across difference. So we're gonna speak about our approach to education in detail in a moment. So if you look at 2017, uh, we introduced a diversity and inclusion metric in our annual bonus plan for all employees, tying d results to company performance and creating shared accountability for improving workforce demographics and fostering inclusion. This last part is really important. We didn't want it um, to just be a focus on the numbers where it might end up becoming a check the box activity. We began to measure both lagging and leading indicators and sharing that with our leaders. We wanted to focus on the behaviors that would drive sustainable change. So in that same year, we invited Corn Ferry to assess our d practices. We wanted an external view on our strengths and opportunities and recommendations for moving forward. Corn Ferry rated us a leading organization at the cusp of best in class, which we were really proud of, and lauded us especially for our bold approach to education. So since 2018, we've launched more inclusive benefits as a way to meet the diverse needs of our employees. We're focusing on integrated HR solutions, and we began a two-year pilot with three business areas to build leader DNI capabilities, of which education and tools are a cornerstone. So I'll cover this a little bit later on. So let's talk about our approach to diversity and inclusion at MassMutual in more detail. It's holistic. And it's based on four key elements. We have a strong partnership with our leaders. We have a commitment to providing transformative learning. We share workforce diversity metrics, creating transparency at all levels of the organization so everybody knows where we are and where we wanna go. And finally, accountability. As I shared, we hold everyone accountable for the results that we achieve. We recently launched employee competencies at MassMutual, one of which is inclusion, to continue to drive the right behaviors. We believe that valuing diversity and role modeling inclusion is everyone's responsibility. I mentioned earlier that in 2014, we decided to focus on changing mindsets and behaviors. Strategically, we set out to develop culturally competent and inclusive leaders. So in 2015, starting with our executive leadership team and working our way down to all senior leaders in the company, we began administering the intercultural development inventory assessment and providing each leader with a one-on-one coaching call. So Mary Frances will provide more detail on the IDI in a, in a moment. So that then led to leaders participating in a three-and-a-half-day learning lab that began with an in-person three-hour workshop facilitated by the Winters Group on building cultural competence. Leaders then immediately went into the learning lab facilitated by white men as full diversity partners. This learning lab is named white men and allies. You can imagine that the learning lab name alone was a topic of great discussion and curiosity to date we have had more than 200 senior leaders participate in this transformative experience. So now I'm gonna turn it over to Mary Francis, who will share more about cultural competence.
3: Thank you, uh, Natalia. It's been an honor for the Winters Group to work with Mass Mutual on its journey. And the way that we look at this work is what we call the 4E strategic approach. You have to engage, you have to educate, embed, and evaluate. And as Natalia mentioned, Mass Mutual has taken a very strategic and a very holistic approach. We look at engagement as more than commitment. Oftentimes we talk about leadership commitment. Leaders can be committed, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily engaged. At Mass Mutual, leaders at every level uh, have been engaged in this process, particularly at the senior level, driving this. You notice that we use the term educate rather than train, because training can look like a one and done. However, education is more long-term, it's developmental, and it's designed to change um, mindsets and heartsets. And so Mass Mutual has taken the approach that education is long-term. We hear so much about diversity training not working. And absolutely it doesn't work. If you want to learn how to play the piano and develop that competency and skill, You can't just take one piano lesson you have to take a number of lessons and even when you become good at playing the piano you don't stop practicing and you don't stop learning so that long-term aspect of the strategy um, is what is making it work very very well embedding you saw the uh, commercial uh, a little bit ago um, that's a marketing function however we want to look at all of the functions in an organization and how do you embed and it not just become an HR process, uh, because all functions in organizations, particularly that touch consumers, need to be uh, on board and need to understand how inclusion can help them do what they do better. And lastly, of course, evaluate. And part of that evaluation that I'm going to talk about um, in a moment is looking at um, where we start, looking at getting a baseline of what do we need to do and what are the gaps. You can turn to the next slide. So what did we do? We used the intercultural development inventory, which many of you may be familiar with. The IDI is a psychometric tool, meaning that it's been reliability and validity tested um, across um, all sorts of different cultural dimensions and so that it has has the rigor, has gone through the rigor of that kind of testing. It's a developmental tool. And what do I mean by a developmental tool? Um, It says that if you're at one place along this continuum, which I'm going to speak about, then we start there. So we meet people where they are. So much about diversity training over the years that hasn't worked um, in our estimation is that we don't assess where are people. So if you've never taken algebra and somebody puts you into an advanced algebra class, you're not going to do very well. And so we need to look at what skills, what capabilities, what knowledge do people have? So the IDI measures one's experience across difference. And it says if you've never had any experience across difference, you're probably going to deny difference, that that first place on the continuum that you see on the screen. And about 2.4% of the people who take this tool fall at denial. I don't know anything about difference, and I'm really not interested in knowing anything. These statistics are not mass mutual statistics. They are Um, overall statistics of people who have taken the tool, and you'll notice that it's pretty much a normal distribution curve. So now I don't know anything about difference, but I move to that next developmental stage, which is polarization, and that basically means that I've learned a little bit about difference, but what I'm probably going to do is I'm probably going to judge those differences. I'm going to be polarized, and I'm going to look at the world as kind of us and them. Oh, those people, they do this compared to what I do, and so you're looking at the world only from your own cultural frame, your own cultural uh, perspective, and you're probably gonna see yours as better. Or at polarization, you could possibly see theirs as better. The Issue at polarization is it's very absolute. This is where we get our entrenched stereotypes and biases, and the thing about both denial is, is that we don't really know a lot about difference. We have a very simplistic view about uh, about difference. The next stage, um, so about 13.5 percent of the people fall at polarization. The next stage is minimization. So now we've learned more. Again, we're develop we're developing and we're saying, you know what? People are people. We're just basically all the same. And so at minimization, we tend to overestimate similarities. We see um, similarities perhaps where they don't really exist. Minimization is where, as you see, about 68 percent of the people who take the tool all. It's because we've really taught people to minimize differences. In the United States, prior to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, um, treating people differently was legal and it still is in some states for some identity groups. But the idea was is that we moved people from this mindset that it's us and them to more of a mindset that I just treat everybody the same. And so that gets us to you know another place. However, we recognize that we are not all the same. There are differences that make a difference. And once we reach acceptance, which does not mean agreement, acceptance means that one accepts that there are a myriad ways in which people may experience the world. There are many, many different worldviews. Mine is one, and I accept that there are a number of others which may be just as valid as mine. So at acceptance, we're curious. We want to know more. We no longer judge like we did at polarization. What we do is we want to. We say, "Hmm, I wonder what's going on here. I wonder if there's something that I just don't understand. I want to know more about it because we recognize again that those differences do make uh, make a difference." And so. The last stage on the continuum and you see only 2.4 percent of the people fall there it's not only do we recognize those differences as we do in acceptance but we know what to do about them we know how to manage them we know how to bridge effectively across them and so i call that the dance and the dance meaning that if you're doing dance with somebody you know you kind of just know i move this way they move that way and um you don't step on anybody's toes but you see very few of us really know how to effectively um, adapt across, across difference. And so this tool, using this tool, and as Natalia mentioned, each leader got their individual readout in terms of where they fell along the continuum. It helped them to go into the lab that Peggy's going to talk about that White Men as Full Diversity Partners conducts because now I know how I'm experiencing difference. So my mind is gonna be open to understanding that if I'm experiencing difference from a minimization perspective, perhaps I am overestimating overestimating, uh, commonalities. So if we look at the next slide, we see um, that the difference perhaps between minimization and acceptance So at minimization we might and many of you probably seen this image but i think it really makes the point some of us may um say gee um we need boxes for the children to see the ball game so let's give everybody a box but as we can see everybody can't see based on the same size box and so when we talk about equity what we do is we provide what is needed based on the different needs. If we're not culturally competent, we may miss those needs, not because we're bad people, just because we're not aware. And so becoming more aware of our own first, our own cultural competence, our own level and capability to be able to discern patterns of difference in our own culture and and others, that's the first step. We've got to start um, with ourselves. So on the next slide, you'll see this very simple model of how we think you get there. And it is first self-understanding, understanding one's cultural self. I have heard over the years, I've been doing this work now for 35 years, and I've heard over the years people say, well, gee, Mary Frances, I don't really think I have a culture. Well, there's no such thing as a view from nowhere. We all got our view from somewhere, and that is our cultural frame. So sometimes the first learning is I have a culture, and what does my culture teach me? What does my culture tell me? Because often, it's, and Peggy's going to talk about this in, in more detail, we don't see ourselves um, in the culture because it just is. It's all around us, and so we have to unpack that. And then once we've done that, we can move on to other understanding. How do I understand my cultural others? The IDI continuum would say that we have to go through all of the stages. We've got a lot of polarization going on in our world right now, a lot of us and them. We're trying to skip over the minimization part and go directly to acceptance adaptation. I need you to understand um, how I'm feeling, what what I'm thinking. And what we're saying is we've got to first come to some kind of common ground and So none of the places on that continuum are bad, but we have to recognize where are we and where do we need to start. So if we're at polarization, we want to talk a lot about similarities. We want to talk about how we're the same, how we have a common common ground. What is our common ground? What do we all care about? And then we can move more to helping us understand our others. So in other words, there are stages to this. There's development. It's just like learning how to play the piano. You don't start with very difficult Mozart concertos and whatnot. You start and the teacher is going to take you through those stages. So any kind of learning, um, we go through developmental stages. That's the same way that we feel this kind of learning is sustained and this is where the change happens. At that third stage, we're then able to, uh, are, are more able to effectively bridge across differences. So next... I just share a model, a very simple model, we call it the 4E model of how we do this. And the first step is exposure. If I don't know anything about difference at that denial stage or that polarization stage along the IDI continuum, if I haven't had much exposure, I'm not gonna be able to be very culturally competent. And so let's examine ourselves. How much exposure have we really had across different dimensions of diversity? And exposure is one thing, but experience takes it deeper. So I may have been exposed to it, but I may not have had some meaningful experiences where I really can understand how those differences are playing out and making a difference. Um, Education, formal education is is a part of that. And that's where we get into the education that's offered in our workplaces or courses that we might take or books that we might read. And we believe that those three E's lead to empathy. And again, Peggy's gonna talk more about that um, as well. And empathy, obviously, is the ability to take the perspective of the other, to actually understand how the other might see the world. We can't do that if we haven't had any exposure or experience across those differences. And so the IDI is an opportunity for those who take it to do some self examination, self exploration, and understand where they are along that continuum, and then understand what do they need to do to gain more exposure and experience so that they can be able to see and discern differences when they arise as leaders are, are um, operating and managing um, a diverse workforce. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Peggy, who's gonna go into more detail about the um, White Men um, as Allies program at Mass Mutual.
5: Thanks, Mary Frances. Um... If you could get to the next slide. So uh, at White Men as Full Diversity Partners, we believe that everyone is in the same culture. So everyone is like the fish. We call them rusty in this picture. Uh, We are swimming in a culture that many of us, uh, it's not transparent. It's uh, something that we live with. And in our work throughout the world and throughout the country, there's always an insider culture. So the water that some live in and others have to leave. There's also an outsider culture, which means outsiders need to know both their outsider culture as well as the insider culture, especially in workplaces. So the way that we at White Full Diversity Partners um, have people engage is through Uh, an experiential process. And uh, Natalia, if you move the slide. Um, What we do is, our belief is that everybody needs to be under the tent, everybody is involved in diversity and inclusion, and that this is not a didactic approach. So if you look up at the right-hand side, you'll see a more traditional approach to diversity training. And as Mary Frances uh, said, this is different than training. What we are talking about is experiential learning and education through a long series of things as Natalia noted. So one of our first um, ways or principles is how do we engage both the head and the heart? Usually we're talking about D&I from a head perspective and our work brings in both the passion of the heart the feelings of the heart and the thoughtfulness of the head. And we do that by our three and a half day learning laboratory, we call it a laboratory because if you think about the word laboratory, it's about experimenting, it's about trying things out, it's about not always succeeding in the experiment, but seeing it as an ongoing process. Um, And so what we say is in the labs, the data comes from the participants and it's their experience. And that's why every lab can be different because we are prioritizing people's learning experiences. And one way to do that is that we engage everybody uh, in the learning process. And we especially talk about both what has traditionally been thought about in DNI so traditionally we thought about race and we've looked at people of color we've thought about gender and we've looked at women we've thought about um, class and we've looked at middle to upper class Uh, we thought about sexual orientation and we look at lgbtq folks what we do is bring in not just people of color white women lgbt we're talking about white culture in terms of race and ethnicity. We're talking about men in terms of gender. We're talking about heterosexual uh, privilege in terms of sexual orientation and bringing all of those differences into the room at the same time so that we can talk about issues like privilege and systemic advantage and do it in such a way and with the definition where People begin to understand, oh, I didn't realize that I had this privilege. And privilege isn't just what I have more of. It's really what I don't have to negotiate. So, for example, as a temporarily able-bodied person, I don't have to negotiate if I was in a wheelchair the uh, width of the door, the bathrooms, the the size of the bathroom, but also the area in the bathroom where I can get into a stall. I don't have to negotiate any of those things because I'm able bodied. So when we think of privilege, we're thinking about what are the things that people don't have to negotiate on a daily basis? um, And what are the things that others do have to negotiate? So we also link the commitment to diversity and inclusion with leadership development. We really see our work as leadership development through the lens of diversity and inclusion. And if we can change uh, the collective mindset through which we, we see issues from one that this is a problem to be fixed to this is a condition and a culture in which we have very different views of what of what works right and what works wrong um, and how do we begin to have divergent views looking through that mindset to bring more creative solutions um, and energy into the workplace that's a little bit about how our transformative experiential learning process um, and in three and a half days people come in many different with many different mindsets. They can be skeptical, they can be wary, they can be concerned, and we welcome every mindset because uh, if you're in your chair and you're willing to stay the process, you will be going through your own learning journey in those three and a half days. So, and um, if we look at the next slide, what we, did, what we uh, define as diversity, diversity is the mix all the ways that we're different. Um, And inclusion is making the mix work. But many people have different definitions of what inclusion is. We call inclusion belonging times uniqueness. So it's almost like a paradox that we both need to feel like we belong to this team, to this department, to this company. Um, and we also want to be valued for our uniqueness. I'm Peggy, I'm a Japanese American, I was a lawyer before. If I'm acknowledged for both my uniqueness, as well as I belong to this team, I'm going to bring my whole self to work. And that's what we're talking about, is how do we bring our whole selves to work so that we can have creative solutions, we can have a workplace that works, um, and we can have fun as well in the workplace. And the way that we have um, talked about leadership development, and go to the next slide, we have eight critical leadership skills that we have worked with. These are the leadership skills that we have seen over the course of our 20-plus years of experience working with leaders, like the leaders, I'm sure, uh, in this webinar, and leaders like the ones that we have worked with at Mass Mutual. The first leadership skill is courage. And uh, courage is also one of Mass Mutual's uh, competencies that Natalia was talking about. The courage, we believe that courage is a skill. Many people see it as an attribute or a characteristic, but we believe that courage, which is strength of heart, which is coming from the heart, um, opens up all the other skills. The second one is integrating head and heart. I've talked about this, that the best solutions and the most creative uh, approaches involve both the intellect as well as the passion and feelings of the heart. A lot of times we, when we have ambiguity and turbulence uh, in di- diversity and inclusion, we want to get clarity, we want to shut down, we want to have the right answer. And our approach to leveraging ambiguity and turbulence is to lean into it, is to use inquiry and curiosity as a way, okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable here, what's going on? I don't really understand what uh, diversity and inclusion is about, how can I get curious about it rather than wanna know the 10 answers? Listening, Uh, in in dominant US culture and in insider culture in many places, listening is, is seen second to speaking We know that listening, listening fully, listening thoroughly, allowing people to share their whole thought or experience, listening is a really powerful skill. Balancing key paradoxes. We talk about four paradoxes um, in our work, four especially in diversity and inclusion. And one is that we're individuals and we're parts of groups. So I'm an individual, as I said, Peggy, and I'm part of many social identity groups. Both of those are true at the same time, and it can be challenging because some people may want to be I'm an individual, treat me as an individual, I'm a human being, and don't realize that they're also parts of social identity groups, such as white men or uh, lawyers or etc., other groups. So, balancing individual and group, the second one is sameness and difference, and Mary. Francis was talking about that, that sometimes we want to go all the way into the sameness part or we want to go into the difference part. So in some ways we are similar and in other ways we are different. And how do we hold those two things at the same time so that we can get the best out of each other? The second one is challenge and support. I was a trial lawyer for 15 years, so I'm way on the challenge side, and I've had to learn to how to be on the support side. So, how do I, in the same conversation, both support somebody's DNI uh, process and do that by challenging some of the uh, the person's thinking, or challenging culture, or challenging the way that we've done things around here? The last paradox that we use a lot is it's not my fault, and I'm responsible. So in any given conversation, if I have a positive intent, but my impact is not so positive, it's not my fault that I've had this negative impact and I can be responsible by asking somebody, gee, it looks like it didn't land the way I meant it. Uh, Could we talk about that? And in a broader historical uh, context, it's not my fault that slavery happened. It's not my fault that, the trail of tears happened, it's not my fault that Japanese Americans were incarcerated during World War II, and how can I be responsible now for any of the, the inequities uh, that have still are around and still part of our culture? How do I be responsible about that? And that's, it's not a historical perspective, it's a day-by-day perspective about equity um, that Mary, uh, Mary Frances was talking about. Seeing and, th- and thinking systemically So we have our individual behavior, but we also have patterns and trends. And what do those patterns and trends look like? And then lastly, if uh, I believe that everybody on this call is an agent of change. If you're in the area of diversity and inclusion, by definition, it's about change. And I deem you to be the agent of change in diversity and inclusion. So the next slide talks about the results for leaders. And the results that we have seen is that there are new skills to lead and participate in difficult conversations. And the new skill might be greater vulnerability, might be a willingness to say, here's what I don't know. And here's what I'd like to learn. A new skill might even be willing to put your toe in the water and say, I I have something I'd like to talk about that I'm not sure I know how to talk about. And maybe the new skill is truth telling. The second one is discovery of insider self-interest in doing diversity work. I've heard from so many uh, people and especially white men, how our work has opened up their sense of who they are and that they don't have to walk on eggshells, that they don't have to have all the answers, that they can come into the conversation of diversity and inclusion knowing that they don't know all the answers and it will be okay Uh, that they can actually start a conversation and and feel as though they will not be shunned or jammed or blamed Uh, that their self interest is still their full expression and their ability to work across difference and create partnerships so there's also a heightened awareness of privilege and workplace inequities Uh, that people learn. And again, what we talk about in terms of privilege is what you don't have to negotiate. Um, Greater understanding about the experience of outsiders. Like, insiders oftentimes don't realize that outsiders are having a very different life experience than they are. And they're sometimes shocked and surprised. Um, But when they begin to hear from outsiders about their experiences, they begin to see that we might be living in two worlds at some point. Greater awareness about habitual unconscious biases, and that is we don't know what we don't know until we become aware uh, and until it's pointed out and until we have the mindset to look for ways that I'm unconsciously incompetent. So, and the last one is a shared commitment and partnership across difference, that we don't have to deny our differences, that we actually can see the value uh, of differences and we can see the, for the greater good. And um, as, as Natalia said, living mutually, the interdependence, the greatest gift that we can give one another is that interdependence so that we live happier and we're more, more fulfilled. So that's a little slice of White Men As Full Diversity Partners at our White Men and Allies Learning Lab. It's been a pleasure to work with Mary, Mary Frances and
4: with uh, Natalia.
5: So I'll turn it back to Natalia.
4: Thank you, Peggy. So this should look familiar. Mary Francis just went through this. Um, here's the continuum. So now that we've reviewed what this experience consisted of, um, and mind you, we've managed to... Uh, Put three and a half days of uh, content in about half an hour. So it really is a a sneak peek into this. Um, I'd like to share some metrics. So we've done all this work. How, How do we know that we're making progress? So at Mass Mutual, we use the IDI assessment as our inclusion metric. So establishing a baseline between 2015 and 2017 on where we were collectively. And we made a commitment to get better together. So everybody's results were confidential. We just did an aggregate view so we would be able to understand where we were. Originally, we landed at minimization, which we weren't surprised at, right? 68% usually land at minimization. Two years later, as we continued this work and continued to provide testing in the labs, we reassessed all of our leaders and collectively moved from minimization to acceptance. So equally impressive is that those who rated at acceptance or adaptation increased from 20% to 50% during the same time period. That's an increase of 150%. So we're really, really pleased to see the progress that our leaders are making as an organization. So we also provided them with ongoing education and tools. So we developed a toolkit with videos, articles, resources, exercises they could do with their teams, aimed at helping them continue to increase our cultural competence and understand different perspectives, and we also encourage them to share their learnings with their team to demonstrate that vulnerability um, that's so necessary in creating inclusion, right? So we bring leaders together each year in reunions uh, that are facilitated by white men as full diversity partners. And the goal of this is to provide an intimate space where leaders can talk about what are the successes they're having with this work, what are some of the challenges related to DNI, and continue their learning. So all of this collectively has contributed to helping move more of our leaders into acceptance. And we're incredibly proud of this. So our next reassessment is slated for 2020. So we look forward to seeing how our cultural competence continues to change over time. So we believe that this focus on cultural competence was the catalyst for moving the needle for people of color in our workforce. As our leaders were more aware of their own biases and how that shows up in the workplace, and were more open to difference, they also took more personal ownership in bringing more diversity into the company. So, for example, following our 2014 DNI strategy refresh, where we added, um, where we focused on mindsets and behaviors, and later added the DNI metric to our annual bonus plan, you can see. That the percentage point increase of people of color in our workforce more than doubled. We saw nearly the same results for people of color at leadership levels. And you know, this type of growth, we absolutely attribute it to the work and the transformative education and the self-awareness um, and the self-reflection that our leaders uh, have gone through and continue to work on as part of their DNI journey. So here on the right-hand side, you see voluntary self-ID. So our individuals with a disability, LGBTQ, veterans, we did a campaign to encourage voluntary self-identification called I Matter, and it focused on the value of being counted. And we also implemented a new HR system with a different onboarding process for new hires. And as a result of this process, 99% of our new hires are completing their voluntary self-ID. So these two efforts, along with our continued commitment to having these groups compete for open roles, has resulted in us nearly quadrupling our percentage point increase. We've gone from 1.3% to 4.1%. So coming back to our strategy, I mentioned the 2017 corn ferry assessment. And how they identified an opportunity for us to build leader DNI capabilities throughout all layers of management. So they had said we were doing a really good job spreading the peanut butter. We had done a really good job um, focusing on our leadership, but we needed to take a more targeted approach to get this type of learnings and experience to frontline managers. So we began a two-year pilot to build DNI capabilities of the leaders in two of our largest organizations, along with HR, with the goals of strengthening leader cultural competence, increasing the diversity of the pipeline, and cascading metrics and accountability. As it has been with our senior leaders, education is at the core of this pilot. So we've delivered since um, May of 2018 transformative learning to more than 270 leaders. This includes the IDI assessment, as well as programs on unconscious bias and systemic privilege. So our leader colleagues who are part of this pilot are gaining the knowledge, the insights, the skills to drive inclusion and create a collaborative workplace where every person feels valued and understanding how important it is for them to model inclusive behaviors. We've seen our leaders become Stronger diversity champions who lend their voice and support to this work and set expectations with their teams accordingly. So what's next? At Mass Mutual, we are very proud of the progress we have made. And at the same time, we know that our journey is far from over. There is much more that we can do. So our near-term focus is going to be on building on our results. We're going to continue to focus on mindsets on behaviors and driving accountability throughout the organization. We will continue to provide support um, through education and tools. Our manager pilot that I just talked about, we're gonna be assessing it over the next month or two and deciding where do we go from here? What are our next steps in regards to this effort to drive d capabilities to all layers of management? And then finally, I mentioned this again, we are going to reassess all of our leaders in the IDI in early 2020. So we feel really good about the direction of our strategy, what works for us and our culture. And we are grateful for the partners who we've had supporting us along the way, Peggy, Mary Frances, I mentioned Miguel, and so many others who have been a part of our journey with us. So with that, I'd like to thank you for your time today, and we're going to open it up for questions.
1: Uh, thank you so much, uh, Peggy, um, Mary, Francis, Natalia, for a wonderful, pre- uh, wonderful webinar. Um, like Natalia said, we are now going to open it up for uh, open up for Q and A. If you have any questions, um, please at, um, enter them into the chat, and, mem- and remember when you are when you are entering them into the chat to select all panelists and attendees. Um, Mary Frances has been and Peggy have been kind enough to uh, answer a couple questions already um, via chat. Um, but there are a couple that are coming in. so my colleague Aaron and I will be re- go ahead and read those so that um, the presenters can answer them. So there's one um, from Kevin, how many people attended the three day training? I've been trying to wrap my head around selling the, this idea of, of setting aside that amount of time on this issue.
4: So, uh, Peggy, I, I can take that one if you're okay with that. Yeah, go right ahead. All right, so each lab is between 24 to 26 people. So when I say that we've put more than 200 liters through this, that is why it's taken us over the course of um, a couple years um, to do that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and I noticed a couple of you, a couple of panelists did respond to him, but let's just just did it to all panelists. I so just wanted to make sure that he got the answer. Um, and then let's see, Amy, let's see, Amy says previous panel and regarding previous panel, do the percentages re- relative to POC indicate that current that currently the company has six percent of employees are POC?
4: No. So that is actually the percentage point increase. Um, nope. so, so I'm not actually sharing our workforce diversity demographics of the group, um, but that is just uh, looking at the increase that we've seen over that three-year period.
1: Do you have an outline for how you develop the two-year pilot?
4: So hi, this is Natalia. Um, so we, in terms of um, the different components within the pilot, uh, I do have that. Um, you know, I'm happy to to chat uh, with folks about that if they're interested. I mean, it, it's it's a whole strategy. So, is that what the question is?
1: And uh, that was from Sumra that answer yes yes regarding the outline
4: yes so I can just at a very high level um, you know first we started making sure that all of our leaders who were part of this um, manager pilot had gone to our foundational DNI program Um, from there we identified uh, leaders who needed to take the IDI assessment so they went ahead and did that and then from there they were part of a two-day program that was facilitated by white Men as full diversity partners. Um, knowing that we wanted to get more than 200 people in, a, in about four sessions through this program, we condensed it from the three and a half day learning lab to a two-day session. Um, just so we could provide people with that learning. And we thought it was important for people to have the self-awareness of what their worldview is before going into this shortened um, lab where we're talking about things like systemic privilege. In addition to that, um, there's other education programs around uh, unconscious bias that we rolled out to this group. And uh, we also, um, I mentioned, um, providing a view into um, what our metrics were. So currently we provide dashboards to our executive teams around what are the workforce diversity metrics at a company level and then at their individual level. And this had never been shared before with frontline managers. So as part of this pilot, we held lunch and learns where managers could call in and they could see what the workforce diversity is for the company, their business unit, and then their respective organization. And this was insight that they've never had before. So again, I mentioned that we're going to be going into uh, assessing the success of this pilot and and what we continue. But in a nutshell, Mm -hmm. that was all of the different components.
1: Thank you, and I think you just kind of answered the next question, but how broadly do you share your program strategy and metrics within the organization?
4: So, in terms of how we, so once we assess the pilot, I think it would be shared, obviously, with the leaders, the the senior leaders of the organization. Um, Obviously, our HR leadership team, our, our business partners. Um, I think in terms of, we actually haven't, I haven't figured it out yet, but in terms of creating transparency, we would probably want to circle back with uh, the leaders who are part of this pilot and let them know of any next steps.
1: And how do you know that your POC increased through hiring, not just through self ID?
4: That is a good question. Uh, so when we have uh, new hires come in, they they have the option of identifying by race and ethnicity as part of the application process. And at the same time, um, we also report to the federal government what our um, workforce demographics are. And uh, as part of that, we have to actually have race and ethnicity completely accounted for. So I want to say it's a combination of both.
1: Okay. And when you mention the leaders who have completed the IDI and, and education, is that inclusive of the field or, and, and corporate office?
4: Ben, could you just read that question one more time?
1: Yeah, yeah, sorry. When you, when you mentioned the leaders who have completed the IDI and education, is that inclusive of the field and corporate office? That was asked by Keisha Keeney. So
4: thank you, Keisha. Uh, it is not inclusive of the field. It is our corporate office. So what we consider home office employees are internal employees.
1: Okay, um, next is from Vicki, can you speak more about the activities that were done in the lab?
5: Uh, This is Peggy. Um, Well, there are a variety of activities, most of which are um, experiences, um, but we do talk about, it's, it's hard to go through the whole thing, but some of the things that we do do are we get into various caucuses, we talk about the impact of dominant insider white male culture We talk about questions that we wanna ask other groups. We have um, opportunities for courageous conversations. We also uh, do some foundational work about how people in the lab themselves are similar to or different from one another. So they begin to see the differences in the room at the same time. But we have many, what we call in and outs, which are opportunities for courageous conversations for people within the lab to have these conversations with themselves about issues that are being faced and topics with people in the lab. So that's kind of a broad spectrum. I'm happy to talk more, but it's um, hard to kind of encapsulate three and a half days.
1: I would imagine. <laughs> um, see, uh, let's see, you indicated that you added a new hire process for self ID. What is the new process? Oh, you already answered that. Uh, let's see. Um, what's what's oh what's the next question is what's the best way to reach Natalia for more details? So I'm going to be sharing um, and or going to be sending an email with the like I said the um, webinar survey and that will include the contact information for all three or the best way to contact all three of the presenters. And how can white men as full diversity partners approach be effectively adapted for an organization that is 80% women and majority white? Well,
5: when we're talking about culture, um, the culture is larger than any one individual. And so even though the, the percentages of women and majority white women, I believe that they would probably still be in a culture that's predominantly a white male culture. And if not, then you know the culture that's there is what is the culture that we talk about. So it can be adopt, adapted, this culture is greater than uh, even the 80% white women in the organization. And it would be interesting and curious, we've had sessions for uh, white women only, white women's caucuses. We also have caucuses, three and a half day sessions for white men And as Natalia said, we have two-day sessions and uh, reunions. So all of those really speak to culture. That's what we're looking at overall. And then what's your participation in that culture?
1: Okay, and the next question is also related to that. How did you make the case internally of our white men as full diversity partners group? We have resources to start ERGs, but folks are having difficulty connecting. The importance to having such a group if we are only starting with five or so groups or the importance of having such a group if we are start only starting with five or so groups
4: so i can take a stab at that question peggy i don't know if you want to add once i'm done um the first part of the question i can answer in terms of building the case internally so our Chief Diversity Officer, Lori Viannans, as I had mentioned, um, it was about looking at the metrics. So our workforce diversity metrics were not moving in a way that we wanted to. So um, based on the strategy refresh and the work that the team did at the time, um, again, leveraging the uh, GDIB benchmarks, um, they decided to focus on culturally competent and inclusive leaders. And, um, you know, Lori found for lack of a better word uh this program through white men as full diversity partners and she went to um one of the public sessions and participated in that and then brought it to our executive leadership team as a proposal and at that point our ceo roger crandall said that he wanted to be part of the pilot so it wasn't a typical way to progress um, and introduce a brand new program is very high stakes when your CEO says, I want to be a part of this and I'm bringing the entire executive leadership team. So that is how we gained internal buy-in for it because yeah. the group went through it and they found it so powerful that they said, you know, if we're really going to change um, this company and continue to make progress in d all of our leaders need to have this. Peggy, is there anything you want to add?
5: Yeah, I would say, uh, Natalia, that Mass Mutual kind of did it right. And that is when you start with the CEO and the executive team, all the rest of the organization is looking to see, well, they're starting at the top, which is the place to start. And I remember Roger in that first session um, had a meeting and he was going to cut short uh, his time there. And he decided, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay. This is, Valuable for my team, and in that one act, he really made a statement about his willingness to be part
3: of inclusive leadership. And starting, and from that's what, and that's this Mary and that's the difference between what I was talking about earlier between commitment and engagement. So a leader who is committed oftentimes sends everybody else to it and doesn't stay, or might open up the uh, session. Uh, but at Mass Mutual, um, the the engagement and is is that the leader senior leader is actually fully uh, participating fully engaged
5: you're absolutely right mary francis this is peggy that um, when it's leader led that's where deloitte wrote this article about the maturity levels and the culture begins to shift when the work of dni is embraced and the responsibility of the top leadership and that, I think, is the way that Mass Mutual started it, and they started it right, and they continue to do that work.
1: Uh, thank you. And uh, looking through the chat, it looks like um, well, we are at we are at a little bit over noon. And at looking through the chat, it looks like Mary Francis and Gwendolyn are have actually been doing a pretty good job of answering people's questions in the chat, um, and. I said we're gonna. If you have any more questions, we're, I am going to be sharing their contact information so you can continue the conversation. But to be respectful of people, everyone's time, I'm just going to go ahead and wrap wrap this wrap things up. So I just wanted to again um, thank Mary, Frances, Natalia, and Peggy, and everyone who participated in every, today's webinar. Special thank you to our sponsor Aon, and I. And as promised, the Sharm activity ID for the session is the 19-VA4KW, and I'm ch- um, just ch- um, typing that in the chat right now, that's the SHRM ID. Uh, please join us for our next forum webinar on inclusion, Culture Clash, Can Latino Culture Identity and Corporate Culture Be Reconciled With? Presenter Andre Tapia from Corn Ferry. It's going to be on Thursday, October 29th at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, an, a new episode of our diversity podcast is now available. Uh, Str- Strategically Marketing Your DEI and Supplier Diversity Programs with 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 presenters, Tiffany Hudson, co-founder of the Nova Collective, and also uh, she speaks with Dr. J.C. Divine, research and communication strategy at the Nova Collective. Visit Inclusion dot org slash podcast to learn to listen. The forum podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Visit Inclusion dot org slash podcast to listen. The uh, The 2020 Diversity Awards nominations are now open. Know someone who leads by example and demonstrates a commitment to bold exploration, risk-taking, and learning from both failure and success? Then nominate them for the 2020 Diversity Awards. For more information on upcoming webinars, podcasts, awards, and all upcoming events, DEI resources, and occasional contest visit us at forum or follow or find us on linkedin facebook and twitter just search forum on workplace inclusion again i want to thank our presenters for an outstanding webinar and i want to thank everyone who participated
5: thank you ben and thanks Mary
0: thank you again for listening to the forum on workplace inclusion podcast Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and 9 graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. In Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the local arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at Augsburg edu.